Now this morning we come to the end of our series in Joseph, looking at the life of Joseph. And as we do, we take in all that we have seen throughout Joseph's life and what it teaches us about God. We see that, a, that God is a God of promise, that God has a plan, and that God has purposed Joseph to be a part of his plan. When we look at, at God's promise, God has built the covenant uh, with us on his promises. The relationship within the space created by God's promises to us and our promises to him in which our intimacy with God can grow. We can know him more. We can know his heart more and know more of the fullness of life that he created us for. Throughout Joseph's story, we see life engaged the realization of the promises to Abraham to bless the nations of the world through his descendants and to make him the father of many nations. We read that uh, in Genesis 28. Uh, the promise followed on to his grandson Jacob, uh, who is also called Israel. So if you're looking through Genesis and you see this interchangeability between Jacob and Israel, it's because God, uh, after Jacob wrestled with God, God renamed him Israel uh, and gave him this promise. And so Genesis 28, uh, this is to Jacob, Joseph's father, verse 10. Jacob left Beersheba and went towards Haran. And there uh, he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place he had put under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth. And the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on the top of it. He called the name of that place Bethel. But the name of the city was Luz at the first. Then Jacob made a vow saying, If God be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear, so that I come again to my father's house in peace. Then the Lord shall be my God, and this stone which I've set up as a pillar shall be God's house, and of all that you give me, I will give a tenth to you. When we then jump forward, so that was Genesis 28, when we jump forward to chapter 46, 
we see this promise, which was the reiteration of the promise to Abraham to make him the father of many nations, to bless all the nations of the earth, the, the earth through his descendants. We see that re- reiterated in, in uh, Jacob and we see it again reiterated in, in chapter 46. So Israel... So we see that change of name from Jacob to Israel. So Israel took his journey. This is Israel the man, not Israel the nation. Israel took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. And God spoke to Israel in visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, here I am. And then he said, I am the God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make you into a great nation. I myself will go down to you, with you to Egypt, and I will also bring you up again, and Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. And Jacob set out from Beersheba, the sons of Israel, carried Jacob, their father, their little ones, their wives, their wagons, all the wagons that Pharaoh had sent to carry him. They also took their livestock, their goods, which they had gained in the land of Canaan and came into Egypt. Jacob and his offspring with him, his sons and his sons' sons with him, his daughters and his sons' daughters, all his offspring he brought with him into Egypt. This is, this is really significant for Jacob. Because Jacob is presently living in Canaan, living in the land that has been promised to his grandfather Abraham, the land on which his his people will become a nation, the land on which God told Jacob and God told Isaac, do not go away from, do not leave. Now, God is telling Jacob, now is the time. Go down to Egypt and go down because this is part of my plan for you, part of my plan to build your nation and and you can trust in my promises that I will once again restore you to this land when you will take a hold of it. We see God is a God of promises. God has a plan and, and within this, remember, Joseph, uh, Jacob is yet to lay eyes again on his son Joseph. There is yet another promise, and it will be your son Joseph who will close your eyes. When you die, it will be beside your son. The son that you have longed for, the son that you have mourned for and grieved for, the son that you have, have felt the loss for, you will not only see again, but he will hold you in your last living moments. What a promise. Throughout the story of Joseph's life, we see that God, we are reminded that in every situation, in every circumstance, even though it doesn't always make sense, that God has a plan, that God is working and and, and he's doing something. When, When Joseph was thrown into the pit, We might wonder how could anything good come of his brothers turning on him like that. When he was sold into slavery, how could anything good come out of Joseph being enslaved? When he was thrown in prison, you might be forgiven for wondering if Joseph felt like, God, you know, is life even worth living? Like even though everything that he did was blessed and God was with him, 
His success was met with this, this seeming retribution and failure and, and these problems all the time. We see these hurdles that Joseph faced. Yet amidst all of that, we see that, that God is unrelenting, that he has a plan and a purpose, that he remains in control, that he is molding and shaping the nature and the heart of Joseph. That he's, he's stripping away all of the unnecessary things, all of the distractions, all of the crutches that Joseph had. And in this pagan foreign land, Joseph clings to his faith and clings to his God. And finally, we see that Joseph has been purposed by God to fulfill his promise as a significant part of his plan. In Genesis chapter 50, we see following Jacob's death and the period of mourning uh, to Joseph's brothers. Joseph's brothers were afraid. Now that their father was dead, what would their brother Joseph, with all of the power and authority of Egypt, do to them? How would he repay the evil that they had done to them? Is he, is he, has he just been withholding his hand for the sake of his father. We read uh, this encounter that after the, the time of mourning Joseph had with his brothers in Genesis chapter 50 verse 15. When Joseph's brothers saw that he, their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father gave this command before the, he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgressions of your brothers and their sin, because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgressions of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came, down, came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear. For I am in the place, for am, am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted and spoke kindly to them. Throughout our lives, like Joseph, things won't always go the way we want them to or the way we expect them to be. There'll be times where it feels like everything that's important to us is being taken away. The truth of our relationship with God, our, our covenant relationship with God, is that we stand in this privileged place. That our God is a God of promises that he is faithful in his promises, that he has a plan and a purpose within our situation. And the beautiful thing is that he desires for us to play a part. I love and really appreciate uh, artwork. 
when we were living in Gladstone, there were a number of young ladies in our congregation who uh, were just incredible, had incredible gift for visual art. Uh, I can often visualize things in my mind, but when it comes to actually putting um, paint to canvas or pen to paper, I am hopeless. Um, I, I am probably the, the most uncoordinated creative person there is. You know, often I feel that way about God and God's plan and God's kingdom and God's creation and God's glory and, and God's redemption plan and all that kind of thing. I feel like, God, I am like the most uncoordinated player on the team. It's, it's like being asked to play in Brazil's World Cup soccer team. It's like I don't even compare... Like there, there is no scale on which, or scale of talent or skill that I would even approach the bottom of. And yet God is saying, I have a very specific role for you to do. I don't want you to be more than what I created you to be. I want you to be who I created you to be, who I knitted you together. I love that Psalm, Psalm 139, where David says, that God knits us together in our mother's womb. That he knows us that intimately. Every fiber of our being, every aspect of our, cre- our nature and our character, every righteous and good thing he put there. And he said, I just want you to be you. With all your flaws and mistakes, all your hiccups, don't worry about that. I just want you to give me your best. I want you to be there. And I want you to be a part of this magnificent thing that I'm creating, this magnificent thing that I'm doing. Now, as, as a kid growing up, it was my dream to play in a World Cup. Like, like all boys dream, like, who wouldn't want to play in a World Cup? And God is saying, it does not matter how skillful you are, how fit you are. He wants you to be a part of, of something bigger and greater and more magnificent than we could even imagine. As Ephesians, Paul says to us in Ephesians, we've, we've touched on this a few times throughout this series, through his power that is at work within us. Now God, God takes what we've got, our, our little uh, denarius offering like the widow's might, and he does the rest. He does the rest. We have this, this wonderful offering that, that God has, that he has a plan, that he is a God of, of faithful promises, and he has a purpose for each one of us within that plan. And, and often that involves us going through hardships and, and difficult situations and unpleasant experiences when a substance is refined like gold or oil or petrol, it goes through a process of having the impurities removed, often through the application of great heat and chemicals. Sometimes these, through these processes, there, there, there is a, an increase in pressure required to get the best application of this refinement. 
We see that through God's plan for Joseph in order to prepare him for the purposes that he desired to use him for as a part of fulfilling his promise to Abraham, his promise to Jacob. God put Joseph through a significant season of refining, of building his character, of developing his abilities. God didn't just say to Joseph one day, Joseph, get up, I want you to go to Pharaoh and I want you to run the country. You know, we we think that uh, given his position amongst his brothers, he was spared uh, a lot of the harder labor, which is why his brothers resented him, especially given that he was the young one of the youngest. So he was often take care of a lot more of the administrative things. We we would think. Certainly, when we we see his time in Potiphar's house. Again, he's, he's given this responsibility in a, in a cultural context to which God is going to apply him. So, so you, we can see that God has taken Joseph's basic learnings at home, on the farm. He's taken him out of his familiar context and, and put him into a new context. And, and Joseph is able to translate those skills improve those skills and grow those skills and then he's thrown into prison and you think well God couldn't you have continued to raise Joseph up through Potiphar's house to to give him all the required experience absolutely but there's more than just ability and experience and knowledge that God wants in his people and it's heart more than, more than knowledge, more than ability, more than talent, God wants our hearts to be shaped and developed after His. How can we possibly begin to fathom or understand God's love unless we can understand what it means to grieve and mourn? How can we understand the love that He has for us in the cross if we can't understand what it was that he gave up, that he sacrificed on the cross, if we can't fathom at least a little bit of what that would be like. And so we see through Joseph's time of suffering unrighteously in prison, we see God creating and shaping not bitterness as as would happen apart from God, these situations, these circumstances, apart from a relationship with God, apart from engaging the heart of God, result in bitterness and hatred. But, but with God, we learn the application of grace and mercy. God refined Joseph, preparing not only his skills and abilities, but his heart more than anything, to rely and trust and lean on God's wisdom and not his own. As, as Christians, particularly in the West, we often think that when our livelihood is challenged, when uh, the reliability and predictability of our future, our income, our way of life is threatened, we feel like uh, we need to be righteously vindicated and that those things need to be protected I want to tell you this morning, that's not biblical. That's, that's not a biblical response 
to the world. It's not a biblical response to our, our relationship with God and our, our situation and our circumstance. It's okay for us to feel uncomfortable. It's okay for us to grieve the comfort that we've lost. But I think it reveals to us the priorities in our life. And that what, what I fear has crept into the, to the church across the Western, uh, Western civilization is a complacency in, in that we have gradually begun to prioritize the comfort and the convenience of our life and our faith above our relationship with God. And when we examine the life of Joseph, we are confronted face to face with this reality. If I was in Joseph's shoes, if I was ripped away from my family, would I rely on God? Would I lean on God? Would I, would I draw into Him? Would He become my refuge? Would He be my fortress? Or, or would I seethe with bitterness and anger and hatred? Would I become petty and self-centered and arrogant? When we as Christians in the West are, are confronted with the loss or, or the uncertainty in our future, do we focus more on, on work? Do, do we, we try and uh, rebuild the walls and, and, and sort of create more of a strong foundation for our income and our future to make sure that, that we're in control, that we've kept that certain? Or do we fall on our knees and ask God, what are you doing here? Where are you leading me? What, what are you trying to do with my heart? How are you at work in my situation? How does this, all of this come to what you're asking me to be and asking me to do? How does all of this fit into your plan and your purpose? You see the difference in perspective. What if we asked ourselves... That, or considered that, that the seasons of challenges that we go through, of, of loss, of grief, of uncertainty, what if instead of uh, uh, seeing them uh, as seasons of, of persecution or hardship, as seasons of refining, of, of crystallizing and forging our true priorities? What if we were to shift our perspective and, and recalibrate our perspective to say these are opportunities for me to draw closer to God, to trust in Him, to rely on Him more? Just take a moment to think about the things in your life, your daily life that you value the most. Think about how much it would affect you your attitude, your heart, your behaviors, your actions, if you lost them. Your car, your house, your job, your family. How much of a significant thing is that for you? Does that make you bitter towards God or does that make you draw nearer to Him? You see, the difference is one of 
whether we, we actually trust in God's promises, whether we actually trust in God's character and nature, that God is righteous and good and holy, that He is faithful and always has been faithful. When we become bitter towards God, angry towards God, almost to the point of being against God, it actually reveals that our priorities are misplaced. It doesn't mean that we can't lament honestly before God and say, hey God, the life sucks right now. It doesn't mean that we can't get, get real with God and say, God, I don't get why you're doing this. Why do I have to go through this? Like asking why, go for it. Elijah did. Jeremiah did. You know, so often... We, we, we aren't prepared to be like Job. And, and you know, often we, we set Job apart and say, you know, he was unique. He was special. You know, when he lost, when those servants came in one after the other, and, you know, when you read through Job's story, it says, and while he was still speaking, the next one comes in and says, hey, I was, I was out with this lot of, of what you had, and, and now everything's gone, and I'm the last one here. And then while he was still speaking, he lost everything. He lost his cattle. He lost his sheep. He lost his, his children, he lost everything. And his immediate response was not to shake his fist at God, to tear his clothes, to grieve and to mourn and to worship. To worship. As we've looked through Joseph's life, I can't help but see the similarities stripped away from his family, away from his livelihood, away from everything that he knew in life. The one consistent thing that we see is that Joseph relied on God. He trusted in God. And in that example, we are reminded that God is faithful, that God is in control, that he has a plan. And that he wants us to be a part of it. That he's doing a work in it, in us. The greatest hindrance to the authenticity of our faith, the intimacy through which we relate to God, is that we often live with hidden priorities. We may consider ourselves to be a Christian and hold to Christian values, biblical values and biblical morals, but often subtly hidden beneath the surface are a whole lot of other values and lifestyle expectations. I'll follow you, God, so long as I've got, I can go down to the shops and, and get whatever I need and whatever I want. I'll follow you, God, so long as I've got a, a nice car and a nice house and, and all of those kind of things. We call these middle-class priorities. You know, what conditions do we place? What, what subtle conditions that we don't necessarily are aware of but are, are there are we placing on our relationship with God, are, are on following God? There's a great challenge in that because when people came to Jesus and said, hey, Jesus, I want to follow you, but first let me. He said, no, you're not ready. You can't follow me. When, Jesus, when they said, you know, I, I want to follow you, I want to be a part of this because it looks good, it looks fun, it looks nice, it looks comfortable. 
he said, no, you can't follow me. I've got nowhere to lay my head unless you're prepared to lay your head on the ground next to me with no comfort, unless you're prepared to take your cross and follow me. He said that before the cross. Think about that. Unless you're prepared to sacrifice your reputation, you can't follow me. The greatest hindrance to authentically living out our faith to an intimate relationship with God is those hidden priorities that we have within our life. And let me tell you, it's nothing new. David, again in Psalm 139, he recognized that he wrestled with the same thing, these hidden priorities. So his prayer to God was this, search me, O God. Know my heart. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in your ways everlasting. It's about wrestling with what makes us uncomfortable, about coming back to that covenant relationship with God built on His promises, acknowledging that, that our God is a God who has a plan and a desires a purpose. The question for us today, are we prioritizing our lifestyle above God? Are we prioritizing our comforts above our relationship with God? Are we prioritizing the control over our future, needing to know where you know, our next job is coming from and uh, the, the certainty and the stability of our future? Are we trying to take control of that or are we prepared to trust in God's plan? <clears throat> because it's only then when we surrender control, when we stop trying to play God's game and simply play our role, be our part, it's when we do that that we stop seeing our uncoordinated strokes on his canvas. and We start to step back and see how he uses our uncoordinated strokes on his canvas to craft a masterpiece he deeply desires for us to step out and to trust him to surrender everything to him joseph shows us the incredible things that god can do when we surrender when we trust so will you today will you this week will you every day Renew your promise to him, to pursue him, to seek him, to follow him all the days of your life, in all of its fullness, in all of its glory, in all of its majesty as he intended us to be. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come and we give you thanks for your word. Thanks that it, it lays out for us your promises, your faithful, eternal promises. Lord, we, we, we thank you that it, it shows us 
that you are at work and have been at work since the beginning of creation with a plan for redemption, a plan for your covenant relationship with us. And humbly, we ask that you take the little that we have and you magnify it for your glory. Take the the little faith that we have and multiply that that we may see you at work, that we may know your heart, know your love, and know you ever more increasingly, magnificently better. Amen.